Dave uh, Soper said to me, man, everybody here looks so excited and happy to be here. Right, Dave? What was the words that you used? Enthusiastic. That's what it was. And I looked at him and I said, well, just wait until they hear my sermon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought, oh, boy, all these new people are. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this awesome, awesome day you've given us. Chance to come together and worship you, to hear your word. Lord, to have it challenge us, Lord, that, that we would move in the path that you have for us. Lord, that we would be directed by your holy presence this morning. Lord, not directed by our agenda, but by yours. Lord, they wouldn't be my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, that you would speak directly into our hearts. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The message this morning is entitled, Walking with God. I like that, walking with God. Over the last few weeks, there has been an emphasis on personal holiness. We've been talking about personal holiness. We've been talking about what would be described as experiential sanctification. Now, I've spoken about this before, but it's worth going over again. When we talk about being sanctified, what does that mean, to be sanctified? To, to be made clean, to be made pure, to be made whole. And there's three different types of sanctification. When we talk about sanctification, we talk about three types. One is positional sanctification. Position, positional sanctification is what happens when we get saved. When we give our lives to Christ, we are positionally sanctified. Then we talk about another type of sanctification called ultimate sanctification. Ultimate sanctification, that has to do with eternity. That has to do with God's going to perfect us. Amen? And then we talk about experiential sanctification. You say, Pastor David, what is experiential sanctification? This has in regards to how we live while we're here. In between getting saved and us going however we're going to go, how many know that sometimes you go earlier than you want? And I'm talking about dying here, people. I don't want to die a certain, I don't want to die any gruesome way, but there's sometimes where you know you just go and you sit by a tree and you pass on. That's the way I want to go. I want to I want to I want to go I want to go home. I want to sit in my recliner. I want to lean back, close my eyes. My wife goes to wake me up. <laughs> and then screams because <laughs> And then she wipes her brow and says, "It's about time." In between our salvation and us expiring, in between that time in our eternity, we have to live in this world, amen? Don't we? We have to live here. And so there is a sanctification process that takes place during that time. This is what we call experiential sanctification. It's in regards to personal holiness. It's in regards to, I want him, I want Jesus Christ to mold me, to make me. Not out of my will, but out of his, Right? Not out of my will, but out of his will. And this is where we struggle. Because we struggle with something called our flesh. How many know what the flesh is? We struggle with our flesh. 
This is where we need to choose to avoid sin and embrace the right things that God has for us. Our flesh will tell us, well, go ahead and do that. It's no big deal. Go ahead and do that. It's just a little bit. Go ahead and do that. It's not going to hurt you that bad. Go ahead and look at that person that way. Go ahead and be to that way to that person. Go ahead and get angry anytime you want, as much as you want. That's Our flesh will rise up. Have you ever had your flesh rise up? Have you ever had where someone just rubs you the wrong way and you want to step out and step up? I've had that. But Lord, mold me, make me. I want to choose to avoid sin. I want to choose to embrace personal holiness. We spoke about coming as you are. We spoke about when it comes to personal holiness, we talked about coming as you are and that God wants you to come as you are. Amen? God wants you to come as you are. But that when we come to Christ, we are made holy by his blood. We are made holy by what he did on the cross. We are made holy. When we come to Christ, we are positionally sanctified. There was a young boy. His name was Charles Gabriel. He grew up on a farm in Iowa. And he went on to write these words. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own. How many know the song? He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. This is the essence of our faith. This is the essence of our faith. This is, this is the act that changes everything. Do you know that this is, it flipped the script of destruction in our lives. It flipped the script. It changed everything upside down. When I was a sinner, condemned unclean, he died for me. When I was a sinner, condemned unclean, he loved me. When you were a sinner, condemned unclean, he loved you. He died for you. Amen? 
Amen. When I accepted his sacrifice, when I realized I was lost, when I realized I needed a Savior, when I called on the name of Jesus Christ, my sinful nature was washed away. I would no longer be known as sinner, but I was now to be known as righteous. I was positionally taken from a bed of destruction and hell and positionally put into a bed of life and power because of what he did at the cross. He rescued me. He sanctified me. He made me clean. That's what it means to sanctify. He made me clean. He made me pure. He made me whole. But the cost wasn't cheap. The cost wasn't cheap. It didn't come. The grace did not come without sacrifice. Amen? The grace did not come without sacrifice. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Therefore, just as one trespass brought condemnation for all men, so also one act of righteousness brought justification and life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. There was one man who sinned and messed up the race. Amen? His name was Adam. Messed us up. But through the obedience of one man, that is Jesus Christ, we were not made sinners, but we were made righteous in Jesus' name. We were not made sinners, but also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You were made righteous. When you accepted Christ, you were made righteous. And let me tell you, it wasn't because of anything you did, but because of everything he did. I was positionally sanctified. Now, we've spoken about this before. And it's important because we will continue to because the importance is so in our lives. We have to understand that when we truly gave our lives to Christ, he truly washed away your sins. When we truly gave our lives to Christ, he truly washed away your past, your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, your letdowns, your circumstances, and your excuses for not having access to the mercy and grace and holiness of God. He washed that away. We have to understand that we are put into a position in our lives. Not just to live out our existence. We're not, we're not here just to live out our existence, right? But to be fully sold out and committed to following the path that he has for us. To be fully sold out and committed to following the path that he has for us. I want to be walking with God. I want to be walking with God. How many want to walk with God this morning? I want to be walking with God. Walking with God means this. It means living according to his words. Living according to his principles. Amen? I can't just do whatever I want, ignoring the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. 
I can't just do whatever I want, whatever the culture tells me to do, whatever my feelings tell me to do, whatever the politics tell me to do, whatever the, listen, the, whatever the world tells me to do, I can't just do whatever I want. I have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. We have to, if we want to walk with God, we have to hear the words that God has spoken to us. Well, you say, Pastor David, God hasn't spoken anything to me. Pastor David, God hasn't spoken anything to me. Jenny, can I borrow this? Can I borrow this for just a second? Thank you. I'm not going to drop it, I promise. See, I have mine on my iPad. But if you want to know what God has spoken to you, this is it right here. 66 books called the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible. If you want to know what God has spoken to you, say, Pastor David, God hasn't spoken. He spoke 66 books to you. Thank you, Jenny. The problem is a lot of people want, to want a word from God, but they don't want to read the word from God. Let me just walk past that one. Is that okay? I'm just going to walk past that. I don't want to step on toes this morning. Walking with God means not walking according to our own principles and our will, but according to his principles and his will. I have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. We can't just ignore his presence in our lives and then expect to have closeness and intimacy. We can't just ignore his presence in our lives and then expect to have closeness and intimacy with his presence. Amen? I want to have that closeness. I want to have that intimacy. I want to be able to say that I am walking with God. I want to take a look at a few examples from Scripture this morning. When I was younger, I, I used to think about uh, what it would be like to be living back in the days of the disciples. I don't know if anybody ever thought this way as well. I know that I did, but I always thought, what would it be like to be a disciple of Jesus? I mean, in that day, when it was happening, there was this uh, really kind of, I don't know, it's, it's really, really kind of old school, like church cartoons, and it was called Superbook. I don't know if anybody ever remembers this. It's called Superbook, and these kids had a time machine, and they would go back to different times in the Bible. And I always thought, man, how cool would that be? To go and see Jonah being spit out of the whale. To go and see Noah and the animals going on the ark. To go and see the disciples and Jesus. I always thought, how cool would that be? And then I thought about this. I wonder how they felt when he called them. I wonder how these fishermen felt when they were fishing on their boat and he called them and said, you follow me. I wonder what was running through their minds. I wonder what it must have been like to be there with him. Would I have what it takes to follow him? When, when, when he says, you follow me, would I have said, yes, master, I will. Would I have what it takes to follow him? Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 8. Start with verse 18. It says this. When Jesus saw 
great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. So what's happening here is Jesus is there, and there's a massive crowd around him. The multitudes are around him. And he gives a command and says, let's go to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him. A scribe was an educated man. Educated. A scribe was, he came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Master, teacher, rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not an encouraging word. He is not encouraging this guy. He's not lifting him up. And, and we might have it, we have a tough time with this in today's church. Because he, this guy's not being encouraged. Teacher, I want to follow you. And Jesus doesn't encourage him. There isn't time here to coddle him. There isn't time to spare his feelings or to gently hold his hand. Jesus is making something very, very clear here. In the language that's being used, he says this, don't expect comfort. Don't expect security. Expect to be rejected. Expect to be an outcast. Why? Because Jesus was an outcast. Foxes have holes. He's saying foxes have homes. Birds have homes. But I don't have a home. I'm an outcast. If you want to follow me, you better count the cost. That's what he's saying here. If you want to follow me, you better count the cost because you will be rejected and you will have no place to lay your head. Most commentators will say that at that point, it's likely that the scribe just walked away. There isn't time to coddle. There isn't time to spare feelings or gently hold their hand. Jesus is making it very clear. Don't expect comfort here. Don't expect security. Expect rejection. Expect to be outcast. Because I am. And then it goes a little further. In the same scripture, go to the next one. And then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, <laughs> this response from Jesus is shocking. This response from Jesus is shocking. Well, of course, go bury your father. I mean, go bury your father, right? Wouldn't any of us say go bury your father first? Jesus doesn't say that here. He says, you follow me. Let the dead bury their, de bury their own. When God calls us to walk with him, hear this clearly, it requires sacrifice. It's not to be taken lightly. The authority of God in our lives should be over everything else in our lives, including family. Including family. 
The authority of God in our lives should be over everything, including family. But Pastor David, he, he just wanted to bury his father. I mean, what's wrong with that, Pastor David? What's wrong? I mean, come on, can't you understand? He just wanted to bury his father. If we were to take a look at the Jewish culture of that day, we would understand a few things. The disciple here is probably not asking to bury his father later that day. He's probably, uh, more than likely, the father has either not died yet or has died, but the burial will take place a long time from now. He'd He'd been buried once. And I'll explain this in just a second. When a father died, in Jewish culture, they have what's, uh, they're sitting shiva. When a father died, mourners would, would gather immediately, and a funeral procession would take his body to the tomb immediately, leaving no time for a son to be talking with teachers. Okay? For a week, for seven days afterward, the family would remain mourning inside the home and would not go out in public. He couldn't have been talking It's just saying, well, my father just died, so I need to bury him. One commentator says there, there must have been an obligation to this young man in that his father was probably older, and when his father was going to die, then he would want to be there to bury him. The other explanation is this. When a father was buried, he wasn't just buried once. He was buried twice. One year after his death, one year after his death, the eldest son would return to the tomb to rebury his father by neatly arranging his bare bones in a container and sliding it into a slot in the wall. He wouldn't just bury him once, he would bury him twice. The language used here, I must first bury my father, can be seen, he's saying, Jesus, can't you just wait? Can't you just wait? It might be seven days, it might be one year, it might be several years. I will follow you, but can't you just wait? Jesus' answer is quick and cutting. Follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Can anybody relate to the young disciple? Can anybody here relate to the young disciple? Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but I got some things to do first. For this man, he wanted to bury his father. What is it for you? Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but if I can just party for a while over here. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. I will give you my whole heart. I'll give you my everything. But if I could just, you know, be living in sin over here for a while, I'll get to you eventually. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but what is holding you back? 
when I was 15, 16 years old, I was trying to remember this guy's name this last week, and I had to call my parents. His name was Frank. When I was 15, 16 years old, I was in the church choir, and I, I loved being there. I loved going to church. I loved seeing the people there at church, and there was a guy named Frank. Frank was a tall, slender black man who was a good friend of mine, and, and Frank was just an awesome guy to be around, just a fun guy to be around. And I looked forward to seeing him every week. And one week, I noticed he wasn't there. And then the next week, and then the next, and then the next. It had to be about six to eight weeks before I saw Frank again. And I ran up to him. I said, Frank, where you been? He kind of looked at me and just simply said, making money. I asked him again why he had missed so many services. Frank, we missed you. Where have you been? He just shrugged. Making money is more important right now. I've never forgotten that. I've never forgotten that. I have no idea where Frank is in his faith right now. But it was very clear for me to that at that moment in Frank's life, making money was more important for him than a relationship with God. Money was the priority, and God was not. Yes, I will follow you, but let me bury my father. Let me make my money. Let me party. Let me do this. Let me do that. Father, I will follow you soon. What's holding you back? There's a man named David Bryant. He tells of a movement in India that's happening right now in which 20,000 poor Christians have divested themselves of virtually everything they own just so that they can mobilize to send forth as many numbers as possible to reach the unreached people of India. They want to reach people who are not being reached with the gospel of Christ. And so they're giving everything they can he writes this, by contrast, it is difficult to engage many American church members in such small gestures of self-discipline, fasting a meal, giving up an evening of television for prayer or door-to-door witnessing. In view of the way Jesus defines what it means to be a follower, one might well wonder how many of these church members are genuinely following the Jesus who speaks to us in the Bible. What's holding you back? You see, walking with God, if I want to walk with God, walking with God requires sacrifice. Walking with God requires sacrifice. The young disciple was asked to sacrifice his family obligations. Are you, what are you willing to sacrifice for your walk with God? What are you willing to sacrifice for your walk with God? There's a verse in the Bible that can be easily overlooked. It's found in Genesis chapter 5. And it's a chapter, by the way, that's going over the genealogy of Noah. It's going over the genealogy of Noah. And so you wouldn't think to even look there too much. You just see the genealogy going on. 
but there's something about Noah. The man at Noah had a father named Lamech. Lamech's father was a man named Methuselah. Methuselah, who is known to have lived longer than any recorded man in the Bible, that's what he was famous for, Methuselah's father was a man named Enoch. Now, what's famous about Enoch? It's recorded that Enoch lived 365 years. 365 years old. You say, Pastor David, I mean, did he really live that long? That's what the Bible says. I believe it to be true. In verse 24, it says this. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. One minister said it this way, to walk with God is to set God always before us to act as always under his eye, to act as always under his authority. It is constantly to care in all things to please God and in nothing to offend God. Instead of saying Enoch lived, it doesn't say Enoch lived, it says an Enoch walked with God. This was his constant care and work. While others lived for themselves, they lived for the world, he lived to God. It was the joy of his life. Enoch was removed to a better world as he did not live like the rest of mankind. So he did not leave the world by death as they did. And he was not found, for God took him. Hebrews 11, verse 5 says this, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. And God took him. He had so given himself to the Lord, he had had given himself to everything that God said, you know what, I don't want you to stay down there anymore. I want you up here with me. He had so walked with God, he was in such communion with God, he was in such friendship with God, he was walking hand in hand. The Lord is my authority, what I do pleases him. This is my testimony, that when when he says, you follow me, I say, yes, Lord, immediately, I will follow you. Nothing's holding me back. I will follow you. I will walk with God. How many people want to walk with God this morning? I want to walk with God. I want to get to a place where I am walking with God, and God says, man, I just can't stand it any longer. I want you up here with me. (laughs) You know, I live 24-7 with my wife and my kids. And there's times where they say, you need to leave. (laughs) 24-7. Kay, can you imagine? (laughs) That 
Enoch was walking with God every day. Day in, day out, walking with God. 24 hours a day, just God is my authority. God is my, God is my everything. God is just, just I, am, I am in his purpose, and his purpose is mine. And he was and was not. For God took him. His testimony was simply this, that he pleased God. I want to walk with God, amen? What are you willing to sacrifice? What has God called you to surrender? Are you willing to follow him at any cost? Because the cost is not cheap. It will be great. It will lead you to hurt and heartache. Your friends may reject you and your family may despise you because they just won't understand your resolve. They just won't understand. No, no, you don't understand. I know there's commitments here, but I am committed to my Lord. No, no, I understand that you want me to go there, but I can't do that. Why? Because I am committed to my Lord. I know you want me to, want me to watch that, but I can't watch that. Why? Because I'm committed to my Savior. I know you want me, to, want me to talk that way, but I can't talk that way. Why? Because I'm committed to my Lord. I know you want me to do those things, but I can't do those things. Why? Because I am committed under the authority of my God and Savior. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I've read this story before, but this is one of my favorites. And it bears worth repeating. Below is a mission statement by a Christian missionary who ministered in West Africa for 20 years. After his death, this was found posted on the wall of his hut. I am part of a fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has already been cast. I've stepped over the line. I'm out of my comfort zone. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams. I'm done with tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I'm a part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I no longer need preeminence. I no longer need position. I no longer need promotion. I no longer need popularity. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be tops. I don't have to be recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. I now live in his presence. I live by his faith. I love by my patience. I live by his prayer and I labor in power. I am a part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. My face is set. My gaze is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. But my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought or compromised or detoured or lured away. I cannot be turned back or deluded. I will not be delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary or negotiate at the table of my enemy. I will not ponder at the pool called popularity or or meander in the maze called mediocrity. 
I won't give up or shut up or let up or burn up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. Come on. I'm a part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because I've dedicated my life to being part of a fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I want to walk with God this morning. Amen? Do you want to walk with him? I want to walk with them. Are you committed to doing whatever it takes? Let's stand this morning. If the music team can come up. Whatever it takes. Why? Jesus Christ gave his very best. So why should I give anything less? Jesus Christ gave his very life. So why should I give anything less? He gave us his best. Lord, we come before you this morning. God, I want to have the testimony that I pleased you. I want to have the same testimony of Enoch, that he was and he was not, for God took him. I want to have the same testimony that I pleased God. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. That I must go until he comes. Give until I drop. Preach until all know and work until he stops. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing you. Because you have decided to become part of a fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Having an awesome Labor Day. Spend time with your family. We'll see you next week. God bless you.